the scripture reading, Matthew 26, 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining on the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I remember as a child one day sitting and eating ice cream with my younger, or younger, I was younger, my older sister. I couldn't have been no more than four or five, and we were eating, as I remember it, vanilla ice cream, but we had some chocolate syrup, right? And my sister said to me, hey, you know what, if you pour some chocolate syrup in your ice cream and stir it this way, it'll turn into chocolate ice cream. Whoa, right? <laughs> so once you know it, pour it in the chocolate syrup, stir it, chocolate ice cream, pretty cool. But then I said to her, Catherine, how do I turn it back into vanilla? <laughs> she said, maybe turn it back the other way. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, it did not work. And I was left with chocolate ice cream. Today we're talking about remembering. We all have stories from our childhood that perhaps now as an adult we look back on and laugh. A couple more come to mind. I have this memory and I swear it to be true of my dad telling me that one of his coworkers was fired. And imprinted on my brain is someone walking to the parking lot with smoke coming out of their pants. <laughs> and one more, uh, my dad was, technically still is, but when is a pastor, when, my, when I was a child, my dad pastored a church. And I, I swear I asked him this, and again, who knows, right? I said, Dad, what, do we, what, what does the church do with the offering? And I, I need to ask him this, because I'm going to see him tomorrow. I swear he said to me that we take it to the bank, and then the bank sends it up to heaven. <laughs> I don't know if Michelle can confirm it or not. <laughs> I don't know, like, when did, when did, was that around the time, maybe in the early, mid-80s, when those vacuum tubes were first coming the banks, drive-thrus, I don't know, but I, that's what I remember. 
While these are silly examples, we all have stories from our childhood that deeply shape our lives as adults, and often we are completely unaware of their presence. I remember um, the, a church that I went to when, again, when I was a child, I imagined in my mind these big, imposing set of stairs into the church. And when I looked it up on Google Maps, you know, with the street view a few years ago, there's like four stairs into the church building. I was confused, as you might say. But I found an article on the idea that one story theme that can continue to play an impact into our lives, even as adults, as the story of money. As children, we slowly begin to tell ourselves a money story, a term some psychologists use to describe all the personal feelings, values, and beliefs we hold about money. These stories can be shaped in subtle ways. For instance, one woman describes being sent as a child by her mom to go buy a carton of milk. She kept the pocket change, only a nickel, in her pocket. And when she got back and gave the milk, but did not return the nickel, her mother scolded her. And she described how that experience made her feel that desiring money of any kind was shameful. It's easy to imagine how other life stories and experiences could shape our money stories. Perhaps you have a grandmother or great-grandparent who lived during the time of the Depression, living during that time period where money was so, so scarce, resources were so hard to come by, that even then, going to the grocery store, perhaps they would make use of every coupon when purchasing groceries. Or an immigrant, perhaps, coming to the United States might be wary to invest in the stock exchange or because banks in their own home country were suspect. Or maybe it's your friend who's hesitant to talk about personal finance issues because growing up in their household, money was always a source of conflict between their parents arguing about money. Psychologists define four money scripts, money avoidance, that's this idea, money is bad, we need to avoid it, avoid talking about it. Money worship, you know, money fuels happiness. Money is everything. Money vigilance, you know, going to count every penny, cross every T, dot every I. Money status, having money is my identity. In our scripture reading for today, we see that the disciples perhaps had a money story of their own. Think again about that passage that Cheryl read for us. What common money story do you think fits with the disciples? Money avoidance, money worship, money vigilance, money status. This morning we're beginning our stewardship campaign, as Christiana shared about, and we're focusing on what we're calling our money story. I know at first glance this seems a bit 
direct. Perhaps that's why there's this huge gaping hole right here. <laughs> and it is, intentionally so. Reverend Sandy and myself are inviting us during these next few weeks to name exactly what we're talking about and not skirt around the issue. Because to talk about money, as one author says, is to invite tension into the room, a feeling some of us might want to avoid, again, depending on our money story. But we believe that it's time that we reframe these perspectives as money and possessions are one of the most common topics in Scripture. And believe it or not, Jesus talked about money and resources more than he talked about faith and prayer. Interesting, huh? As one author says, our money story, therefore, is a spiritual story. It's a faith story. It speaks to what we value and hold to be true. This stewardship season, therefore, we invite you to remember, to release, to reimagine your money stories so that you can write the story that God is calling you to live into. And to begin this morning, we're looking at a story of Jesus and this woman who anointed him. I'm going to read this passage again just so we can hear the story again fresh in our minds. So while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? She has pursued, performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, Wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. I'm curious, as you hear that story read again, that passage, what money story do you hear? For me, at least, I hear money vigilance. Maybe money avoidance, but money vigilance. The disciples are confused, angry, even upset. Why this waste? They say. This ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. As readers of the story, it's, it's a bit confusing, really. It's like, what? The disciples are the ones in the wrong for wanting to do this? So when Jesus scolds the disciples and praises the woman, it's a bit of a different money story than we might expect. Why do you trouble the woman, Jesus says? She has performed a good service for me. He goes on to say, Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and we still tell the good news of this story and the story of this woman continues to be told, and she continues to be honored. You know, the disciples' money story, at least as I see it, is one that often plays out in churches, at least in our current context. 
money vigilance. It's about doing what, what, what makes the most sense about being prudent, responsible, careful. But I believe that this story tells us that sometimes allegiance to Jesus means not being prudent with money and resources. I know it sounds a little backwards, perhaps even a little scandalous. Yeah, it seems to me at least that Jesus rejects a utilitarian calculation. And as much as it might catch us off guard, it should not surprise us. For throughout the story of Jesus and his actions on earth, he constantly acts in ways unexpected, ways that upset the authorities and disrupt the common expectations. Looking closely at this story, it seems that God's story about money, when it comes to the person of Jesus, is that money and resources should be used to worship Jesus and proclaim his story. Again, from our reading, after the woman poured the ointment on Jesus, Jesus said to this woman, or about this woman, she has performed a good service for me. In the original language, Jesus says something more like, she has done a beautiful and virtuous act. A beautiful and virtuous act in anointing me. Then Jesus says, wherever the good message is proclaimed, this story will also be told as a memorial to this woman. From this story, I think we can conclude that our primary task as a church, as a body of believers, is to use our money and resources to worship Jesus and proclaim his story. Meaning that when it comes to decisions about money and resources, our first and foremost question should be, will this lead to worship of Jesus and to proclaiming his story? Notice again what Jesus does not say. Jesus is not tell the woman she should have given the money to the poor or start a nonprofit or fund a foundation. He wasn't concerned with building up endowments or investing for the future or even strengthening the bottom line. Jesus was quite simply content with he, the Son of God, being worshipped and the good news of the gospel being proclaimed. Worship Jesus. Proclaim his story. This past winter, perhaps you remember this, there was an American religious advertising campaign called He Gets Us. Perhaps you remember these commercials airing during the Super Bowl. Most of these ads were characterized by black and white images of people in conflict, suffering, disagreement, tragedy, with a tagline saying, Jesus dealt with these things too. He gets us. Despite the overwhelming success of the campaign, one YouTube video amassed over 122 million views. The campaign was not without its share of criticism. For one, it was funded by some anonymous sources who, despite being anonymous, seemed to be suspect and perhaps tied to some controversial past endeavors, we shall say. But more than that, there really was the question when the initial campaign was an investment over, of over $100 million, a fair amount of money, the larger criticism really was one similar to the disciples. 
Why was this money spent when it could have been given to the poor? Maybe so. Maybe the money should have been given to the poor. Even so, I know this to be true. That throughout the campaign, the story of Jesus was proclaimed and Jesus was worshipped. And if I may be so bold, I think God was pleased. Just as Jesus was in the story from our reading today, when Jesus praised the woman for worshipping him and proclaiming his story. Here we are, some 2,000 years later, wrestling with these same questions as the disciples. What is the best use of money and resources? I'm reminded of this common idiom in our culture, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. My brother works in tech and he describes this as feature creep. This idea where engineers and designers, they want to get the best and the latest gadgets and gizmos and software and features into a product. But the challenge is when that feature creep happens, it can get to the point where the product never actually comes to market because designers and engineers are obsessed with getting the best into that product. Conversely, we think about Apple, the, the ubiquitous tech company who seemingly mastered how to figure this out. I have, I don't remember what iPhone I have. It's not the latest. Now here they are with the Apple 15, right? Is it the greatest iPhone ever? I don't know. It seems just marginally better than the last iPhone. Forgive me if anybody's an iPhone Apple uh, apologist here. They seemingly have mastered this idea, we just need to get something better out there. It does not be great, just be better. In our modern culture, it seems we prioritize good over great. And I think that's the thing with our money stories. Remember avoidance, status, worship. These money stories have some element of good in them. Sometimes being prudent with money is the most responsible thing. Sometimes avoiding money is the best thing. Sometimes being proud of the money we've earned because of what we've accomplished is a good thing. Sometimes being careful with money is good. But Jesus calls us to be great. Jesus calls us to him who is great. And Jesus calls us to follow him in worship and to proclaim his story. In many ways, then, I believe we are faced with a choice to settle for the okay, the ordinary, the utilitarian. Yet Jesus calls us to follow after and pursue the incredible, the improbable, even the amazing. In a world of good outcomes, Jesus calls us to pursue great outcomes. This story of this woman anointing Jesus is a story that has resonated with millions of people for thousands of years and is only known to us today because a woman rejected the practical and instead pursued the improbable, the incredible, and the amazing. She let go of what would be practical and reasonable that she might be in reverence. So I ask you today, 
What are your own money stories that you might need to examine during this stewardship campaign? What are the money stories that we as a church might need to take another look at? And how might we together as a church tell the story of Jesus with our money? Not a story shaped by vigilance or status or avoidance, but a money story centered on worshiping Jesus and proclaiming his story. May we use our money and our resources to further the story of Jesus.